Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome, friends, to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez here. So glad that you're tuning into another episode. Today is podcast 61, and we're going to be talking about that famous passage about the transfiguration of Jesus. Matter of fact, there's three key events that we're going to be discussing on today's podcast, and these are found in Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 23, Mark 9, 2 through 32, Luke chapter 9, 28 through 45. Now, the first event that we're going to be tackling is the transfiguration of Jesus. And then what happens when he gets back down from the mountain? He encounters a father and his son who is demon-possessed. And then right after this event, we're going to touch on Jesus once again predicting his death and his resurrection. Now, to bring you up to speed, we are told in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, where Matthew writes, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now remember, Jesus just took his disciples through Tyre and Sidon. This is back in Matthew 15, 29 through 39. So he's exploring all these opportunities and showing them the kingdom of God expanding. And he's talking about his death and resurrection because that's the culmination. So then at this period of time, he takes Peter, James, and John possibly to Mount Hermon. Other commentaries will get into that a little bit. I refer to it as a different mountain. Well, the, but, the, but the point is that it's near, we're told, by Caesarea Philippi, where he is transfigured before them to fulfill what he had told a member uh, eight days prior in Matthew 17, 28, he, when he said, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So that's where we pick things up in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 13, and Mark chapter 9, 2 through 13, Luke 9, 28 through 36. Now, what I've done here is I've taken three of these passages and I've connected them all together. So they're just going to flow. So I'm just going to read the whole account using all three passages together. And then as always, we'll kind of look at the commentary. So it says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And his clothing became dazzling white, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. For he, Peter, did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, if it is good that we are here, let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, the Chosen One, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. 
But Jesus came and he touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. All right, let's jump right into this. But before I do, again, if you've missed any previous podcasts, go to standstrongministries.org. As always, you can click on podcast. All of the podcasts are there with my study notes. So I appreciate you guys getting involved and also appreciate you guys sharing this podcast with your friends and with your family. And hey, encourage you guys to go through this podcast with your small group at church. All right, so let's jump into Matthew chapter 17, verse one, where it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, um, you know, his brother, and they led them to this high mountain. Now, once again, here we see the inner circle of these three who are very privy at times to special teachings and events. Now, Luke mentions that the purpose of this trip was for them to go and pray, remember? Now, Dr. Carson, he thinks that this is Mount Moran, not Hermon. Uh, this this Mount Moran was about 3,900 3, feet of elevation. It was roughly about the highest point in this Jewish area between uh, Caesarea Philippi and Capernaum. So again, there, there's just a, a little debate as to what actual mountain. We just don't really know, but it was within this region of Caesarea Philippi. And then Luke 9.29 says, when he was praying, this appearance of his face was altered. Matthew 17 says he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Luke 9.29, and his clothing became dazzling white. Mark 9.3, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. So Jesus's transformation here was of his heavenly glory. And it was put right there in front of the three disciples. Now this term transfigured means metamorphosis. This is the Greek verb that's used uh, of metamorpho, uh, meaning to change outwardly or visibly. So it's describing an alteration in form. So Jesus becomes so bright, we're told, it was like looking at the sun. What's amazing in Hebrews 1.3, it says, he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. Remember Peter in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, he would later mention this exact amazing event. He writes this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Then we're told here in Luke chapter 9, 30 and 31, that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and they spoke of his departure. Now, when Jesus was in his splendor, okay, Moses, who's the father of law, uh, he appears, who represents, remember, the beginning of Israel. And then you have Elijah. And remember, Elijah, he never died. 
So Elijah here represents the end of Israel because we're told, for he shall come again according to Malachi 4, 5 through 6 and appear before Jesus uh, in this conversation. So they're here uh, discussing, having a conversation. We don't know what the conversation is with Jesus. But when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, if you remember in, in Exodus 34, 29 through 35, remember he reflected the glory of God. And remember Elijah, when he was carried off with the chariots of fire to heaven in 2 Kings chapter 2, 11 through 18. So you're seeing what Moses represents, what Elijah represents, and how Moses came from the mountain of fire and being in the presence of God and how he shined the glory of God and he had to put a veil over him. And then, of course, Elijah is being picked up in 2 Kings chapter 2 and taken from the chariots of fire. So you're representing all this here on this mountain. And now these prophets who are expected by the Jews to inaugurate, remember, the messianic age, they're standing in this brilliant glory of Jesus on earth. And so Moses and Elijah appeared in some form of a resurrected glorified state. So this is a beautiful, amazing picture. Not to mention, though, remember this term that Luke mentions, departure? This referred to Jesus leaving the world through which he would bring salvation much as Yahweh had brought, remember, deliverance to Israel in its exodus, remember, their departure from Egypt. So this departure was to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And from this point on, Jesus indicated several times that he was headed toward Jerusalem. We're told that all throughout the Gospel of Luke. Jesus did not want his miracles widely publicized at this time for the fulfillment had yet to be for what was going to take place in Jerusalem. And then this commentary adds, this was confirmed by Elijah's, Elijah's and Moses' words. So this was a very defining moment. And Jesus wanted the inner circle to anticipate this to the other disciples in the ministry that was going to come in Jerusalem. And another commentary writes this, Matthew often compares Jesus' ministry with those of Moses and Elijah. So that's why this is very significant, my friends, at this stage of, of, of why Moses and Elijah were there. Now, Luke 9, 33 says, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, as they remember, we're told that they woke up, they were asleep. Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, we're also told uh, that, that, that Peter didn't really know what this meant. Now, what's interesting again uh, about Peter, which I totally, totally love, is he always just speaks up when no one else does. Now, what's interesting though, when you look at the text, this was a very inappropriate suggestion to build three tents. Now, remember, this was something that all Jewish men knew how to do because this is in reference to the uh, the festival of tabernacles or booths. And that whole celebration was commemorating the Exodus and points to the coming reign of the Messiah. And this is told in Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 44 and Zechariah 14, 16 through 21. So what Peter wanted to do was he wanted this glory to remain on earth permanently. So in one sense, he was able to identify what was going on here. And so he wanted it just to stay. He didn't want it to depart. Well, by doing so, uh, this would prevent Jesus, obviously, from having to go through the suffering and death. So these are things that Peter didn't understand. Now, keep that in mind because later in our podcast today, we're going to be talking about Jesus once again speaking up about his death and his resurrection. So Luke makes mention of this and shows that none of the uh, of, of what Peter said made any sense to him. Now, we don't understand how Peter and perhaps even the other two disciples knew uh, or, or how they knew that that this was Moses and Elijah. Perhaps maybe Jesus had mentioned it to them uh, at some point by name, or maybe just through the power of the Holy Spirit, just kind of 
connect the dots for them. We don't know that. But here in Matthew 17, verse 5, it says a bright cloud overshadowed them. So now, remember, you have the glory of Jesus, what Moses and Elijah represent, and then you have God's glory, just like in Mount Sinai that overshadowed Mount Sinai with Moses. God spoke from heaven, remember, to Moses on Mount Sinai. God takes Elijah. God, when he when Jesus is baptized, God speaks, this is my beloved son. Hear him, listen to him. We're told here, this is the chosen one. This voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son, we're told in Luke 9, 35. Uh, literally the chosen one, the Messiah. This is the anointing one. And so this reminiscent of God speaking at the baptism, we're seeing it once again take place on the mountain. And this is significant because the first time it ushers Jesus in to do his uh, Galilean ministry. And now at this phase, at this point, and we're going through the chronological teaching of Jesus, it's ushering him towards Jerusalem now. So from this point on, my friends, his focus is now on Jerusalem. So this once again proves Christ to be the anointed one and has the expressed approval of the Father in heaven. Therefore, whatever Jesus says and does, the disciples were to listen and follow him. One commentary puts it like this, the transfiguration is a microcosm of Jesus' second coming. The three apostles depict the people of this world who will see him coming. Moses depicts the resurrected dead and Elijah, the raptured people who will return with him. Now we see here in Matthew 17, 10 through 13, that the disciples are confused. So they know it's Moses and Elijah, but then they ask this question, why do the scribes say that that Elijah will come first? And the member Jesus answered them, Elijah does come and he will restore all things, but I tell you that Elijah has already come. So what is going on here? What is he talking about? And then when it says in verse 13 that the disciples understood he was speaking about John the Baptist. Now remember, Jesus answers the disciples' question regarding Elijah by pointing to John the Baptist as a fulfillment of Elijah's ministry. Now remember, most of the Jewish leaders failed to recognize this which explains why the disciples did as well. So remember, they didn't want to verify John the Baptist as a prophet. But Elijah came in the spirit, or excuse me, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. We're told in Malachi 4, 4 through 16, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. Least I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So here you see again Moses and Elijah that are mentioned back in Malachi 4, and we see them here on the mountain of transfiguration. Matthew eleven four to remember the words? We talked about this in a previous podcast. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. We're told in Luke 1 17, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Elijah does his work, and then he's taken, right, by the chariots of fire in Second Kings chapter 2. Then John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah, and we're told here in Luke one seventeen that he actually is leading people to the Lord, fathers to their children, disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And then Elijah will come once again. I believe he is one of the two witnesses mentioned in Revelation 11. So just a fascinating passage of scripture. Now let's jump to the second event where Jesus heals a demonic boy. Now this is found in Matthew 17, 14 through 21, Mark 9, 14 through 29, and Luke 9, 
37 through 43. Now, I'm not going to read, just for time's sake, all of these passages. I'm going to jump around with all three of these synoptic gospel accounts and put them in as one and provide commentary as, as normal. So let's jump right to Luke 9, 37, where it says, Now on the next day. And then Mark 9, 14 says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. So now based on this time frame, it seems that the transfiguration took place in the evening. So now on the next day, as they're coming down the mountain, whether again, it's Horeb or another place, Jesus returns with Peter, James, and John. And when he arrives to meet the other disciples who left, who were left there at the, at the bottom of the mountain, he comes among this debate that's happening between the scribes and they're arguing. This word arguing literally means disputing with force over matters of different opinions. So the nine disciples are arguing with the religious leaders about this exorcism to take place with this demon uh, that's in this 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 son, this child. He, in, in some commentaries I was looking at, refers to this not maybe to be a young child, but to be an older person. Um, and now Mark 9, 15 through 16 says, And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed or distressed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? So remember, there's a there's this debate's been going on. Jesus comes, they see him, and they're greatly amazed, or they're so distressed over this, so they run to Jesus for answers. So this lengthy dispute over exorcism created intense arguments, and it stirred up the crowd tremendously. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. I have through the ministry, and I'll tell you, it's not only scary, but it's very alarming. And we, at as all time, uh, need to be looking for the power of God in these situations. And so certainly, they're out of their league. So upon seeing Jesus come down from the mountain and at his countenance, remember, he's still probably somewhat magnified through his glory, just like Moses spending time with God in Exodus 34. So the crowd immediately rushes to Jesus for aid over this dilemma regarding this child who's suffering because of this demon. And then we're told in Luke chapter 9, 38, and behold, a man from the crowd who cried out, literally it means in Greek, he screamed with this unusual loudness. So can you imagine trying to get his attention in this mob of people who are distressed? And then Matthew 17, 14 through 15 says, And he came up to him, who is Jesus, and kneeling before him, he said, Lord, have mercy on my son. Luke 9, 38 says, Lord, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. Mark 9, 17 says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. So what do we get from Luke's account, Matthew's and Mark's account? While this father is screaming out to the Lord, to Jesus, in total desperation. And when he comes to Jesus in the mob of these people who are distressed, he kneels before him showing total submission. And he's asking, he's appealing, he is pleading before Jesus to what? To show mercy. Literally in Greek, it means to show kindness, to have concern or pity on his child. So he's getting nowhere with the religious leaders. He's getting nowhere with the disciples. So he turns to Jesus now remember, this isn't Jesus' first time healing a child. You go back to Luke chapter 7, verse 12, and Luke chapter 8, verse 42. So then we're told in Mark 9, 17, it says that for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Now I want you to pay close attention, friend, to the descriptions when we take Matthew's account, Mark's account, and Luke's account. Matthew 17, verse 15, when it says that he has a spirit that makes him mute, understand what he's going through. Matthew says he has seizures, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. So it seems that the man's son had a severe case of epilepsy 
that was caused by this demon that would often take control over him. In Mark 9, 18, it says, whenever it, it seizes or attacks or literally controls him, it throws him down and it foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Literally in Greek, it means stiffed or paralyzed. In Luke 9, 39, it describes a spirit seizes him and suddenly cries out. It convulses in the Greek sparoso, which is just literally means a spasmodic contractions. And so at this point, when this, this child, this son of this man gets so stiff, paralyzed when this, this demon controls or attacks him, he foams at his mouth and it shatters, literally means bruises or crushes him and will hardly leave him. One commentary puts it like this, we can see Satan's subtlety in this attack. For while Jesus was on the mountaintop, he produced a demon who could withstand the weak faith of the remaining nine disciples in Matthew 17, 20. This fact helped explain why Jesus only took three disciples with him, for at that time, only three had the prerequisite faith to witness his eternal glory. Consider the intense strain that this epileptic's father had lived under. His son was in constant danger of imminent death. Note too the viciousness of Satan's irony. The boy was mute, yet when the demon attacked him, he cried out, it says. And it says here in the commentary, Satan is utterly vicious. Man, I could not agree more. Could you imagine the torture and the pain? And so Luke 9, 40 and he says, and I begged your disciples, the father says, to cast it out. Matthew 17, 16, he's pleading them to heal, but they could not. You imagine how embarrassing that was for the disciples. They were left, the nine were left to do something about this. The scribes were debating with them. They couldn't win the debate and they couldn't win over this son. And Jesus comes on scene after seeing this tormented son in the case that he was, the desperation of his father. They failed on all accounts. And Jesus is witnessing their humiliation in the process. And remember, just a few months ago, Jesus had just sent the disciples out to heal the sick and to cast out demons in Matthew 10. So the disciples actually had experience here, but, but to no avail. And so Luke 9, 41, Jesus answered, O faithless, memory, unbelieving and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear with you, meaning to be patient, to endure with you? Bring your son here. So Jesus openly rebukes his disciples for not being able to cast out a demon. And the disciples still lacked the faith and the power of prayer, remember, to cast this demon out of the sun. And so in Mark 9, 20, they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And, not, and, and then it says in Luke 9, 21, 22, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he says, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and water to destroy him. But if you could do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So notice how Jesus continues to converse with his father. Jesus shows attentiveness. He shows concern. He shows compassion over this situation. Now, given the failed attempts by the scribes and the disciples, you can imagine that the father is probably feeling a little bit hopeless, having reservations. They couldn't do anything. But I love the fact that the father stays persistent with Jesus. And so in Mark 9, 23, Jesus says to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. So remember, notice Jesus points out to the father to have faith. Remember, he rebuked the disciples because he says you're faithless and twisted generation. Now, this is important because in this response, the father cries out again. So notice the son is convulsing. He's shouting out because of the demon. And this father is crying out, shouting out because of pain. They're both in pain. And they're both in need of Jesus. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. 
The father acknowledges his unbelief. This took great humility. It took great faith. And he cries out to Jesus, who is the right source to help this man to overcome his doubt. So in the midst of seeking healing for his son, the father realizes he needs to overcome his doubts. So this request was not only about healing the son, but also healing the unbelief of the father. And then in Mark 9, 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to you, mute and deaf spirit, I command, literally, I give detailed instructions to what must be done. And it says, you come out literally to leave from within of him and never enter, meaning never take up office in this child again. So Jesus is sensitive to the father and of his son's situation. And before the crowd bombards him, he casts out the demon. He gives these strict detailed instructions that the demon had to submit because of the authority of Jesus. And he heals this man. Now remember, Jesus never really used healings as a spectacle to please thrill seekers. So when he says, I command, he is demonstrating in front of all these people his absolute authority. Again, I believe because he's, his mind, his eyes are set on Jerusalem. And as he's going to Jerusalem now, he's publicizing more of his power and his authority. And in Mark 9, 26 and 27, and after crying out and convulsing terribly, uh, the, the demon comes out and the boy was left like a corpse. And most of them thought he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Again, my friends, this shows the power of just what this demon had over this son, but even, but, but more importantly, I should say, the absolute authority that Jesus shows to overcome demons and diseases. And in Matthew 17, 19, 20, disciples came privately and they asked, why couldn't we do this? And Jesus says, because of your little faith. He says, for I truly say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from, from here and, and move over there. And the disciples, remember, they, they had much learning. They didn't understand exactly what was taking place. They lacked understanding. They lacked faith. But remember, Jesus shows them, I am the, I am the answer. I am the authority. I am the source. So Jesus told them that they needed to have more faith and they needed to pray because in Mark 9, 29, it says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And then the last event we see here, friends, in Matthew 17, 22 through 23 and Mark 9, 30 through 32 and Luke 9, 43 through 45. It says, Jesus is now going through Galilee. Um, he leaves the region of Caesarea Philippi and he goes into Galilee where he started his ministry and he is serving the people there. And we're told here in Luke 9, 45, and they didn't understand some of these sayings and it was still concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him even about some of these things. So the second time that Jesus is told that he told his disciples that he would die, they weren't getting it. And then they started to finally realize from his first time of predicting his death to now his second, now to his third time in Luke chapter 18, that he was going to die and that he was going to rise from the dead. Jesus starts personalizing these things more and it is so important. So why these three events in the order in which they take place? Well, in closing, that's very important from transfiguration to exorcism, to resurrection. Jesus Christ is showing his glory to the world. Remember, Satan has come in here. He has blinded the people. He's pulled them from him. The darkness of this world has kept them at bay. Jesus is the light of the world and he comes into the world and he's showing the glory. He's showing that he is present and that he is going to cast out demons. He's going to heal the sick, which is 
a foreshadowing member of his glory to come when he establishes millennial kingdom. But before that happens, he has to die. He has to take on the sins of the world. But guess what? On the third day, he would rise from the dead. So my friends, what an amazing passage of scripture that we've been looking at on today's podcast. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. I pray that you will continue to grow in your faith, that you'll continue to stand strong no matter the cost. And remember, there's so many great resources out there. There are many books that I've written that if you just go to standstrongministry.org, check them out. We have articles out there. Share these podcasts with your friends. And until next time, keep standing strong, my friend. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.